Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota Rural Electric Association's priorities in the upcoming state legislative session. A Minnesota woman is headed to the Winter Olympics to officiate curling and the Minnesota State Farm Service Agency's new director. But first... The crime wave in parts of Minnesota and the state's whopping $7.7 billion budget surplus took center stage at the state capitol this week as lawmakers get ready for Monday's start of the 2022 legislative session. Bill Warner brings us up to date. Scott, let's start with the crime problem, which pretty much everyone acknowledges is issue number one because the situation in the metro area and in some parts of greater Minnesota has deteriorated significantly since the murder of George Floyd and subsequent fallout. Minnesota House Democrats this week rolled out their $100 million anti-crime package, which includes money for community nonprofits they say to help prevent crime in the first place, also funding for community policing grants and more investigators, and money to help more police departments purchase body cameras. St. Paul Representative Carlos Mariani. This legislation is focused on fighting crime, not on fighting one another politically. Republican Representative Brian Johnson from Cambridge responded, House Democrats put more money in their energy package for trees than funding for police in their anti-crime package. Email I just received today from a lady that lives in uh, Minneapolis that's afraid to even out of our house right now. It's getting so bad down there. Later in the week, Senate Republicans rolled out their priority list for the 2022 session. Majority Leader Jeremy Miller saying public safety is in position number one. More cops results in less crime. We will put forward proposals to hold violent criminals accountable for their actions. Governor Tim Walls rolled out his plan this week. $300 million over three years, a quarter million dollars annually for an average Minnesota city to help fight the crime wave. The governor also wants $45 million for various community-based programs, including community policing, much different from Senate Republicans who are focusing on more officers on the street and tougher sentences for criminals. The governor responded, accountability needs to be part of it, but... We've been down this road before in this country. That if it's simply about, you know, higher, higher incarceration rates, whatever, we end up with the highest number of people incarcerated in the entire world. And this week, battle lines officially drawn between Democrats and Republicans on what to do with the state's record $7.7 billion surplus, which many expect to get even larger when the next economic forecast comes out in about a month. Instead of a governor gimmick, Senate Republicans are going to focus on permanent, long-term, ongoing tax relief. Said Senate Majority Leader Jeremy Miller, Chanhassen Senator Julia Coleman says about the tax rebate checks Governor Walls is pushing. The proposal from the governor is insulting. It barely covers the monthly costs of diapers in my house. Majority Leader Miller said Republicans will roll out details of their tax cut plan in the next couple of weeks. You can expect a a very large tax relief package coming uh, from the Senate Republicans. And among their proposed cuts? Senate Republicans will make it a priority to repeal the tax on Social Security income. 
No more taxes on Social Security income. Governor Walls responded 60% of Minnesota recipients pay zero tax on their Social Security benefits. 80% pay on only a small portion. So Republicans, he says, want to remove a tax on millionaires. When they're saying, boy, you're taking grandma's Social Security money and taxing up. If grandma's making a couple million dollars a year in that, we're asking her to pay a few dollars from a portion of her Social Security. Minnesota House Democrats didn't give a specific number, but sent strong signals this week that they could propose using billions of the state's $7.7 billion budget surplus to increase funding for child care and early learning, K-12, and higher education. House Speaker Melissa Hortman talked about what happened last session with positions staked out the same this time around. There is a Republican frame that it's all extra. It's all money um, that the state like didn't need. And there is a Democratic point of view that we all made a conscious decision to compromise with Republicans, not shut down state government, and take less than we knew that we needed in several areas. Concentrate on basics in Minnesota's public school classrooms, responded Senate Republicans. Senator Roger Chamberlain says the state should not throw money at new programs until there's full reading proficiency for every student. They need to be in school. They need normal structure. They need their friends. They need the schools. And they need to be out of masks. But will Chamberlain introduce a bill to ban any mask mandates in Minnesota schools? No, no. We're focused on the test scores. We're focused all our effort on supporting educators and parents. Chamberlain didn't say whether Senate Republicans will again push for what they call parental choice options, what Democrats label as school vouchers. Governor Walls this week renewed his push to legalize recreational marijuana in Minnesota, even though it has almost zero chance of passing the Republican-controlled state Senate, particularly in an election year. Walls says about recreational cannabis that he's not encouraging people to do this any more than overindulging in alcohol, but he says prohibition has not worked. It's taken a huge amount of police resources away from things that they should be doing, of fighting violent crime, and it's had a, a disproportionate impact on communities of color. But Ryan Hamilton with the Minnesota Catholic Conference argues... We believe there's a better path to justice than normalizing and commercializing a highly potent, addictive substance that has been linked to the degradation of communities, linked to the degradation of the environment, and linked to the degradation of the overall common good. Scott? Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The Minnesota Rural Electric Association is among the groups vying for attention and funding as lawmakers get ready to return to the state capitol for the upcoming legislative session. I spoke with Mike Bull about his new role as Director of Policy and Regulatory Affairs at the MREA and what he hopes to accomplish with lawmakers in the weeks ahead. Just to start with, you know, I'm, this is my first session with the MREA, uh, but it, it'll, I think it'll be my 26th, 26th session since I started working on issues at the Capitol. I'm a brand new at MREA, but I've been a Steel Wasika Electric Co-op member for a number of years on our farm outside the Strand State Park and really happy to be at MREA as a co-op guy through and through our, uh, we think, our uh, non-profit cooperative model being owned by co-op members, governed by co-op members, and solely for the benefit of co-op members is truly the best way to deliver this essential service of electric service to Minnesotans, especially to rural Minnesota. So uh, looking ahead, uh, well, as I look at this upcoming session, I look back at our at the previous session. We passed uh, the significant priorities that we brought to the legislature uh, last session, uh, passage of the Energy Conservation and Optimization Act, which was a, a reform of uh, the state's uh, efficiency, energy efficiency framework that um, MREA had been working on for many years on behalf of our 50 uh, co-op members. Um, that was a priority also for Governor Walls. Uh, we uh, passed uh, legislation authorizing electric co-ops to use their electric easements for the purpose of providing broadband service to their uh, members. You know, not every co-op wants or needs to provide broadband, but for many co-ops, rural broadband is the new rural electrification where farmers and other rural leaders, uh, cooperative leaders, are pulling together to provide an essential service that the for-profit companies wouldn't bring to rural Minnesota. And, you know, uh, that'll be a focus uh, going ahead uh, to this session as well. Our top priority also relates for this upcoming session, the 2022 session, also relates to broadband. We expect a proposal by the cable industry to impose a standard pole attachment fees that co-ops would have to charge cable companies to attach their broadband equipment to co-op poles. It's a cable priority all over the country. Uh, but the problem, Scott, is that every co-op's uh, system is different, every pole is different, and there's just no way that one standard fee would allow a co-op to recover all the costs associated with attaching cable equipment to a co-op's poles. Co-op electric rates would then have to increase to cover the cost. Uh, the rest of those costs, uh, thus requiring member owners, uh, co-op member owners like myself, to subsidize these for-profit cable uh, companies, which is, you know, I think everyone would agree is a ridiculous result. Uh, cable has been signing up an army of lobbyists to push their priorities for the session, so we'll need to activate our co-op grassroots uh, to help push back on this pole attachment initiative. We have co-ops all over the state, as you know, uh, so... Um, our, our grassroots efforts are pretty extensive. Do you have a uh, sense? Do you have a sense of uh, how on board with that lawmakers may be at this point, uh, heading into the session? Yeah, you know, I know that our our cable folks uh, have been working it pretty hard. 
I think uh, it'll be so. Maybe to take a step back, this session is going to be pretty wild, Scott. It, it, of the 27 or so that I've been, you know, we've got this uh, significant um, budget surplus. You know, it's a, an election year. All the state legislators and the governor's office are up for election in November. A number of senators and former senators are running for governor, uh, redistricting um is going to redraw all those legislative boundaries. And so right now, the, even the legislators that want to run for re-election, they don't know who their constituents necessarily will be. Uh, so it's going to be, it's a difficult session for anyone to really try to pass much of anything. Uh, so, so I think for, I think we're in pretty decent shape heading into the session in terms of lawmaker support or opposition to this poll attachment fee, but it is, uh, you know, I don't underestimate our friends in the cable uh, industry because they, they do have a lot of money and they do hire a whole bunch of lobbyists. Um, I know in the past, uh, in conversations that I've had with the MREA, that uh, electric vehicle funding has also been something that's been sort of uh, a priority. Is that the case heading into this session again as well? You bet. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Scott. Uh, you know, Minnesota co-ops, electric co-ops are interested in increasing the beneficial use of electricity, uh, you know, where it can displace fossil fuel use, uh, save customers money, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, um, and, and uh, electric vehicles are a primary example of that. There's going to be significant dollars, both state and federal dollars, uh, you know, that will be put to um, building out the public EV charging network uh, in the state. You know, a lot of money coming in from the, uh, the infrastructure fund, uh, infrastructure bill that passed uh, in Congress recently, and then the state will want to put, uh, we've been hearing proposals uh, to, to double down on that amount uh, with some of the money from the state uh, surplus. Um, and we'll want to work to push out the majority of any funding for public EV charging out to greater Minnesota, to rural Minnesota, help, you know, to help alleviate EV range anxiety, which everyone recognizes is a barrier to further EV penetration in the state. So you, folks need to have confidence as they drive from, you know, Wilmer to the Twin Cities or the Twin Cities up to Roseau that they have... Um, they can uh, easily find places to charge their electric vehicle, maybe not uh, quite as easily as finding uh, you know, a gas station, a convenience store, but at least um, some, uh, somewhat similar uh, so that uh, people are able to buy an electric vehicle with confidence. Mike, we're just about out of time here, but I wanted to oh, give you—I wanted to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know if they're hearing this and maybe want to find out more about the MREA and uh, find out a little bit about some of these issues that you've already talked about in the upcoming legislative session. Where would you direct them to go? Sure, I'd direct them to our website at www.mrea.org, the Minnesota Rural Electric Association. A lot of information there on the website. Also, you know, follow me on Twitter, <laughs> Mike underscore MREA. Uh, I put out a lot of good information 
about co-op priorities and the way we think about the world. Thank you to my guest, Director of Policy and Regulatory Affairs at the MREA, Mike Bull. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A Minnesota woman will be the only American curling official at the upcoming Winter Olympics. Tasha Radel has more. It's hard to believe the Winter Olympics are right around the corner. The Games kick off February 4th and run through the 20th in Beijing, China. Joining me today is Susie Zarnetsky from Wilmer, Minnesota. Susie is the National Chief Umpire for USA Curling, the first woman NCU for curling in the U.S. Zarnetsky was appointed in June of 2021 and is now in Beijing, China to officiate curling in the Winter Olympics. So, Susie, I knew you were in Korea officiating in 2018 at the Olympics, obviously before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Now, four years later, we are in a worldwide pandemic. I know things are going to look much different in Olympic Village in Beijing this year, and some are referring to it as a bubble. Can you explain that? So, at first, when we were getting our information, it was being called a loop. And once you were in the loop, you were expected to stay away from the public, stay in your room, just stay near our group, in our group, and even then not have conversations that were without masks, still continue to social distance. Um, and, and now, you know, a month or two later, I can't remember when that phone call was, but a month or two later, now they're referring to it as a bubble. So, you know, I think with the new variant and just the way that the pandemic has gone, they've had to tighten things. And I know that China now has some cases there and they're concerned. I I don't know much more than that. I don't know if I can explain a bubble. I have <laughs> I've done a few sporting events, all curling. We had the mixed doubles trials in Eveleth, and we had the mixed doubles, or the men's and women's Olympic trials in Omaha. And in both those cases, all of the athletes, all of the officials, and any of the volunteers who were involved in uh, facilitating the event were separated from the public. I don't know if that's what a bubble is or if that was a loose bubble. I mean, we didn't have any problems with any cases. So, Susie, does this mean you can't even leave your hotel, go shopping, use public transportation, things like that? In that call, however long ago that was, a Zoom call was with one of the IOC members, and um, they made it clear to us that we are to stay in our room when we're not officiating, we are not to gather in groups. Um, And the latest communication, no hugging, no close conversations. Uh, So it's going to be... It's going to be a mental challenge. It's going to be a lonely month. You know, I'm I'm a pretty gregarious, affectionate person. So, uh, and I'm used to going to these events with my husband, and he is not going. I'm going by myself. This is probably going to be the biggest big girl thing I do in my whole life is get on a plane and fly to China and navigate all of that by myself with my suitcase and figure it all out, work, and then get back here. So hopefully I can do this and I'm I'm fairly confident, but there's some things I'm anxious over and I think that that's okay and normal and I will I will figure it out. 
Wow. So outside of the actual curling events you'll be officiating, you are pretty much in, I guess I'd call it, self-isolation. Have you thought of ways to keep busy? Well, it's, uh, I'm trying to find this paint-by-number that I bought during the pandemic and I never started it. I know it's here in the house somewhere, and I'm sure I'll find it before I leave tomorrow. I haven't done a real <laughs> job searching for it yet, but I'm pretty sure I can find that. I'm going to take that with me. I figured that would be good because all the paint is in little little pods and it'll be easy to pack. Um, <laughs> I have downloaded uh, four different complete series of shows, so that way I don't have to try to connect and watch anything. Um, I, I'm going to try to clean up my inbox, <laughs> but I don't know, that doesn't sound very exciting, so that, that may not become a priority. My inbox is... I don't delete anything, not because I'm not because I'm a hoarder, but just because I want to be able to search and find different documents and things like that for curling. But I need to organize it. I need to clear it out. It's a mess. So, you know, that's kind of some of the exciting stuff I'm going to do in Beijing. Um, nothing against any other city, but I might as well be in Detroit because it's not going to make much difference to me. I'm I'm either going to be at the venue or I'm going to be at my hotel room. So. Yeah, kind of a bummer, but it's okay. Susie, I know you've officiated hundreds of events across the country, the world. Uh, Does each of these events hold a special, I guess, spot in your heart, so to speak? No, when you look at like the NFL, and maybe it's different for them at every event too, but when you look at the NFL, the NBA, their courts are all the same. Our venues are all different. Sometimes we're at a tiny little curling club, uh, sometimes we're at a big, huge, you know, stadium type arena with seating for thousands. So it just depends on where we're at. That changes the flavor of the event, definitely. Um, it's going to change it because there's not really going to be any fans in the stands. You know, I that's that's going to be a little weird because we had tons of fans in the stands when we were in Pyeongchang, so in South Korea. So that's that's going to change it a little bit. But they're all. Very special. I have great memories from every event I've been at. Um, so yeah, they're they're very interesting. Curling's a wonderful, warm, uh, welcoming world. It's smaller than some other sports, so we all know each other. I can't say we're all friends, but we're all friendly, and uh, it's it's definitely a very gentle uh, sport at this point. That may change as the future goes and it gets more competitive, but right now it's it's a gentleman's sport, gentlewoman's yeah. sport. Thanks again to my guest, Susie Zarnetsky from Wilmer. Again, Susie is the only American in Beijing officiating curling at the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. Again, the Winter Olympics open February 4th. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. (sighs) We want to hire you. You're, You're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. 
They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Farm Service Agency has a new statewide director. Whitney Place takes over the position after most recently serving as Assistant Commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. MNN Farm Correspondent Mark Dornkamp had a chance to chat with Place about her new job and her goals. Whitney, as you approach this new role, what are some of the priorities that you are formulating? What are your expectations? I'm still um, taking in a lot of information and meeting a lot of the great people who work at the agency. But I was most interested in this position because of the direct access that it has to farmers. Um, And I felt like I could bring my years of experience working through agricultural issues um, to the position. So some of my priorities are to make sure that we're still um, effectively delivering FSA programs, even now in the light in light of the pandemic. And I know it's frustrating for some folks who who can't get into their offices, um, but it's a priority to keep all of our staff safe and our customers safe. So we're working through all those issues and have been for a while um, to make sure that we're available via phone or email to get um, make sure that everyone has access to all the programs. Um, you know, we want to continue. I, I come from a conservation and environmental background as well, and I really want to continue to expand our efforts to protect our most vulnerable lands from erosion through our conservation programs at FSA, but understanding and making sure that we're doing it in a way that is helpful to farmers. Um, and I also want to just make sure that the implementation of our programs is informed by the community. So I hope that I have some good relationships with our egg community so that we can work together through any issues that might come up with any of the programming. I did a story this week on the commodity title and the deadline for ARC and PLC is March 15th. So as you get settled into your new job, the FSA office is going to be really busy with farmers getting signed up with these approaching deadlines for the upcoming growing season. Absolutely. Um, and we know, you know, there's going to be a lot of maybe changes in in some farmers operations. And one thing that I would like to plug is that we're holding a webinar with the University of Minnesota Extension next Wednesday um, that will go over any sort of considerations that farmers should be making on election of the ARC or PLC programs. So that's free to register for um, if farmers have any questions about those options. With the Farm bill expiring in 2023, I'm sure you've got uh, that at least in the back of your mind as far as potential changes to some of these USDA programs and how it could affect FSA offices. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, I, I see my role as being a resource to farmers in Minnesota. Um, I see myself uh, as being an advocate for our agricultural community within the administration. So there are changes um, to programs that people uh, would like to see happen in the next farm bill. Um, I'm here to listen, and I I hope people reach out um, so that I can take that back um, to USDA. Anything else that you want to make sure we touch on today? I don't think so. Um, I'm really excited about the position and, you know, 
my contact information is widely available, so I really hope anyone who has any issues reaches out to me at any time. That's new Minnesota Farm Service Agency Director Whitney Place with Mark Dorenkamp on Minnesota Matters. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.